Hey, buddy. Hola. Hey, bud. What's up? I like this guy. Who do we Who do we have here? This is the catastrophic. Okay. And uh, friend fan made us for me. Ben side, friend side. Wow. Playing bass. That's amazing. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's got a very um, Carl Thompson kind of vibe to it. Who the fuck's Carl? Uh, Thompson? Carl Thompson. He's the guy that built Les Claypool's bass original. Stanley Clark. Okay, yeah, now that's that's coming together. You know, you know him. You know the bass with the wooden scroll. He's got like um, his cat. He he always right. He's like stay cool or like keep swinging carl he's got this cat it would, it would t it's his apprentice who built my base okay yeah cool who's the apprentice so his name is joe cruz and mbj guitars is his company shout out um, joe cruz mbj guitars yeah big time man he is the man we were texting the other day he checked out my stream he um so we his mbj guitar stands for moonbeam junior guitars so that's why we named my base the blood moon bass okay nice it's got this bloodwood in it and it's got like these bloodwood uh, red moons in it so that's dope i'm losing you you still there this doesn't bode well yeah there you go mm -hmm. my internet connection is <laughs> yeah i kind of froze for a second there what do you freaking do try to connect i can see you okay now okay um hang on good better yeah, I heard someone connect. I was like, oh, it must be Luke. It's 2.15 on the dot. Like, he's good. And then I come over and move this picture, and it's Mark. I'm like, oh, hey, buddy. Uh, what are you doing here? He's like, I thought it was 2.15. I was like, well, you emailed this morning, 2.30. Is that okay still? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll be right back. Just, like, link up with him. Like, all right, here we go. I'm sure he's got a lot of times that he's keeping track of with all the lessons Yeah, and, and I think this was so. the meeting on Zoom. Um, it's been cool to kind of figure this whole shit out. Right. But, oh, damn it. Every time I try to connect to Bluetooth, I should just stick with my... Headphones. Are you just going straight to the computer? Yeah. Are you just yeah, you're frozen, frozen a little bit. Now it's okay. It's kind of freezing. It's whenever I'm connecting to Bluetooth. I should just go with my headphones. Are you coming through the computer? Do you want us to use headphones? I don't know. I, it's, I'm just using the computer. Mic. All right. I'll start with that. I got these just in case. All right. Fuck it. Yeah, I've got my. I can plug in my headphones. Whenever. Nah, let's um, just go for now. We'll I use the headphones when I do nothing. We'll see if this works. Um, shout out Apple. Shout out Apple. I'm more of a Mandarin orange guy myself. Is that what they call Huawei? Yeah, me too. Uh, Mandarin orange. Huawei? Huawei, the company from China, the Mandarin orange versus Apple. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they can give them a run for their money for sure. Got some cool thunder out here going on. I don't want to open the window and listen to it, but that might interrupt. Is it raining by you too? Uh, it was early. It's been crazy. Yeah, there's a, like a yeah, it's, going on. That's like same here. It's very like tropical storm esque. Right. Um, when you go outside, I was literally there's like a little stream in my yard, and so I was like at my dining room table with my computer this morning, and a duck flew out, and the wind just hit the duck. Whoa! And like the duck just started flying backwards. Like it was <laughs> one of the craziest things I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah that's it pretty was cool really wild nice it was wild yeah so what do you think about my background here i, I i've gone with a casual blend I, i've got my i'm here on the couch so i can be mellow and uh-huh and then you can zoom yeah cool. and, then, I, and then we can go to base so we can go life base base i like it yeah i have to um, i gotta figure out some like blackout curtains here it's gonna be easier when i move to my next place um right but when i, I, like I sit up it's very casual yeah i can move my base over here and then uh 
have would have it like right there. But um, right, we, we can just pivot to bases. I mean, you're a better place player, so you could just play the base. No, we're do, we're doing base duels on this podcast, dude. It's gonna happen. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We gotta we gotta record a new uh, intro each time. Yeah, as exactly. as the outro. Yeah, <laughs> the, the new intro is the outro every time. Yeah, exactly. It's like, ah, right, this has been back to bases. We bookend it. We have intro and the and the outro. It's so we just start. We just start jamming, and then we we'll join in. That's how it goes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Perfect. Do it. I love it. Yeah, all right, so we got our first episode going live today, buddy. You excited? I am excited, yeah. I uh, figured out how to start a website and get emails and shit. I've uh, wanted to Love do this that. type of yeah, stuff nice for job. for a while, so it's cool to like actually do it. Um, yeah, I also, totally. Greg Greg sent me a cool um, Starkey Puppies doing, like a, I guess it's like a master class type thing, and this Saturday is going to be um, cool. Victor Wooten and Michael League, which is pretty sweet. Whoa. So I sign up, and it's a pay what you want. So um, cool. So you sign up for that, and you can check it out. Yep. Yeah, I'll send you. Yeah. I'll email you a link. Um, Please, I will absolutely check that out. And somewhere. you know what? We should. I should post. We should post it on our back to basics page, which we Network, also now baby. have. Baby Network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So he should be joining in soon. Um, yeah, I got my sheet here, but I think I think we'll just be able to talk it through. Just um, let him kind of lead it. And I, he, again, he seems kind of busy working all this stuff, so we could just keep it. Brown's a pretty busy guy. Fair, he fair is, man. He's a busy man. Yeah, uh, Greg and Alex did Brownie's podcast. Not Brownie, Jesus Christ, that's who we're t- talking to. Uh, Barber's podcast when we were in L.A. I said he's got oh, cool. a sweet-ass house. He, yeah, he apparently um, was an investor in Splice early on, I think. And so he did pretty well with that. Like He was one of the – I don't know exactly, and I haven't listened to the podcast um, or anything. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't even know he had a podcast. What's it called? Do you know? No idea. Yeah, interesting. Barber sheds. Yeah, that would make sense. I don't know. That's an intuitive guess. I thought I put you on Do Not Disturb, Mr. Phone. Yeah, I am I am the same. Your phone's on Do Not Disturb? Oh yeah. But I've got our dock up in case we want to communicate. Cool. Sweet. So, oh, it's starting okay. to get thundery. Thunderous in here. I, really? I can't hear. I, I have my window open. I, I love to hear just like sound of rain. Like people pay for that in apps, dude. Like, yeah, you, I'm gonna get a little natural rain. I'm gonna open up the window. I like this. Open it up, man. Let's get some rain in there. That that way we can date the episode too. Exactly. There we go. This chair is gonna get wet. I can feel the moisture coming in digitally already. Yes. Yeah. That's uh. And here is the namesake of the picture. Okay. Oh, dude. What's it, what, is, it, is it a he or a she? It's a he. It's a cat. What's his name? Cat <laughs> that is a cat? Mm-hmm. Wow. He's known as the catastrophic. Cat. Oh, okay. I like the picture. Wow, dude. He's awesome. Yep. Uh, his, he goes by Astro for short. Astro. Right. We'll have to have an animal episode. I'll get my bass downs in here. I'm down, yeah. Yeah, very, uh, on his forehead, I didn't even realize it's one of these things. Oh, whoa, cool. And built a uh, – he was, like, in college at the time. He didn't even go to college. He's, like, Jimmy Neutron, boy genius. He built a 3D printer that is actually very impressive. What, what is that called? Uh, this? Just like a pyramid. Yeah. Our lights are fluttering. This is crazy. Wow, it looks like a, um, a Zelda Triforce. Yeah. So I am, you know, let me turn on my Wi-Fi just in case our whole internet goes out. I'm not even plugged in, but our lights are flashing like mad. Right? When uh, when we were talking on the phone earlier, my dining room table lights were flickering, and I was like, oh shit, I've 
been trying to like charge and power up everything in case it goes out. Right. Um, I, got I was digging. You're what? I got books and a uh, the fucking flashlight I can read. Yeah, me, me too. You know, I was going through like some old um, boxes and notebooks and stuff the other day, and I dug up some old books that um, that I have wanted, have been like looking for and wanted to get around to reading. Right. I've got like, this is a great one that you would probably dig. The Secret Power of Music. Ooh, I like that. It's very cool. I got this, like, I, I don't know, in high school. Me and John G were both really into it. And we would even, there's this thing where it's, like, celestial improv. It's, like, notes that work depending on, like, the month. Or, like, here's one, like, this crazy deep, like, musical tones according to the modern Western scale within the moons. Hmm. So it's like depending what kind of moon cycle it is. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm I'm there. It's cool. We we used to like when the special was first getting together and practicing, we would like look up whatever like the celestial key of the month was and like jam in that key. What's the celestial key of this month? Let's find out. I'd have to look it up. I don't know where it is exactly. This is like stained with coffee. But you gotta love a book when it like like this book looks like it's been like tra it, this is a well traveled book. It's lived, yeah, exactly. It's got yeah. the stars of a life that has been well lived. Exactly, man. In some box, in some library somewhere. I'll have to look it up. I think that it's kind of just like, you know, January is C and then February is C sharp. December, you know what I mean? And then oh, like, and there are 12 months and there's 12 chromatic keys. Right, okay. exactly. So I guess that's the easy way to look at it. But so I know some of them get like deeper, like with the moon cycles and all that kind of stuff. But there's some really cool stuff in here. I remember when I was like applying to Berkeley, I was really into this book and I made my like personal essay just like all about philosophy shit. And when I showed him my English teacher, he's like, dude, this isn't like a personal essay. You're just like fanboying out over this book you're reading. <laughs> like, and I was like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's true. Well, that's good one to read. Um, yeah. I, it kind of reminds me of the book I got at the Moog Factory about numerology. It wasn't music per se, but it just goes through each number and why each number is important, you know, Going cool. through, it's a really cool old old school book. He gave it to my brother to borrow, and I kind of want it back. Kind of grab it from him. Yeah, that's super. I, I'm super into like numerology and stuff like that, especially if how it applies to music and stuff. This is different, but it is super trippy. But have you read um, Victor Wooten's book, The Music Lesson? I haven't. Hey, Mark, how's it going, bud? Here's our guest. I'll be right back. I just wanted to click on. I'm just finishing one thing, and I'm going to use the bathroom before we go. You guys, awesome. awesome. Looking good over there. Thanks. All right. All right, so let's talk shit about him while he's gone. <laughs> oh, Brown's got the ill background, dude. He got, yeah, like, the fancy J-Bass, the Gibson. He's got it set up. That's a cool picture back there, too. Yeah, that is that is tight. He's also got one of the hallmarks of being a grown-ass adult, a comfy chair to do work in. <laughs> I got a couch. <laughs> yeah, you got a couch. That's pretty good. We're, we're right in the middle. I got this uh, dining room chair, and you got the couch. I think if we combine our forces. Co combined, we've got every level of chill. Yes, exactly. I'm can you hear my, my rain's picking up? Can you hear the rain? I hear it through mine. I don't hear it through yours though, and I don't have my headphones. Are you going to close your window? I think I should just to be safe, but I can't hear it on yours. Okay, I'm going to keep it open. I'm vibing to this rain. It's like pouring right now. Yeah, the rain was uh, coming in. Damn, that was leaking in real hard. Wow. Yeah, it is like pouring. That's wild. Yeah. That shouldn't be near water. Probably shouldn't. Yeah. yeah, probably shouldn't. <laughs> Just leave a bucket outside. Collect some fresh rainwater, man. Yeah, we could do fresh rainwater. I'm down. Hey, conserve the water, man. Yep, exactly. 
Yeah. Legal in some states. I like it. I like it, Cece. I like where your head's at. Yeah. 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 She uh, works at a farm and had to take off fr- Friday and Monday because of this wind and like the tornado. There was the tornado oh. right pretty yeah. close to her farm today. There was one that went through. Wow. Uh, tornadoed or whatever, but. There's been tornadoes around the country today. There's been already been some like damage and stuff like that. Like pretty intense, man, for everything yeah, going on. Calls me from the basement. It's like, yeah, like what's, what's going on in the world? I'm like, I don't know, probably like weather patterns and, uh, you know, stuff that has happened for millennia and just happened to be during a human pandemic situation. Right. I know, but it's like, damn, you really hope somebody that's not like home locked isn't going to have a tree fall down or something well, like that. I had a friend, uh, well, not even a friend, someone he knows. Wow, it's really coming down out there. Uh, yeah, see, I was just saying the same thing. It's, I'm about to pour like outside started of started at the same time as us, right? You're starting at the same yeah. time? At 2.35? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're both Eastern, right? Yeah, yeah. So, wow. It must be just uh, tapping in. It's, it's everywhere. I mean, yeah, like I was talking to Jen, who's in Boston today, and it's pouring there as well. Like, it, this is kind of everywhere right now. Because it's raining all over the world. It's raining, man. Oh, I thought we were going to do like a matchup. No, 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 okay. no. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite rain song. That's not yours. It's, it's up there. It's sure up there. Blind, uh-huh. I, I think No Rain, Blind Melon probably would have the top spot. Yeah, well, that's um, it right now because it is raining. Oh, Actually, no, I'm going to give the top spot to um, just the two of us, Bill Withers. Okay, all right. For rain? Is it a rain song? Well, it just uh, that first line, like, you know, I see the crystal raindrops fall and the beauty of it all is when the sun comes shining through. So, nice. There it is. I did a little, like, bass video when he passed away last week. And I like included that lyric and somebody was like, I'm really glad you did that. Like, I didn't realize those were the words and it's very poetic. It is poetic. Yeah. Your bass stream the other day was cool. I liked, uh, wow. My bass with me weeps. It's a cool one. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like, that's a solo piece I've done for a while. And it was the first thing where I was like, that's something I could do on a stream. But like, you know, I had to get a little more creative with the ditto looper and all that and trying to like actually layer parts and stuff. So it's not just bass the whole time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you have a pretty intense looping setup with the schwa sets too, right? Yeah, it, uh, I haven't really dug into it as much as I want to. I have that looping pedal I got um, just for like soundtracks and stuff with pigeons to mess around with that idea. But Ableton's yeah. nice because everything is coded to the next measure. So I don't really have to think or worry about it. It's just about getting controllers to uh, to loop it properly. But yeah, that's, that's you're been a whole... You're looping within Ableton though, like setting everything's up a live loop. In... Everything's in Ableton. Yeah, we have a lot of stuff that we're looping. Cool. Yep. So... Hey, Mark. My dudes. Hey, my man. How you doing, buddy? Pretty good. Pretty good. Busy? I'm very busy. Yes. (laughs) What else you got going on besides the Live Lesson Masters these days? Well, that's all I'm working on, and it's taking up all of my time. And and it's like, uh, it's funny because I was, when we started it, it was, I went online, and Luke, I know you do lessons, so I asked the fans if they wanted lessons mm. and I got an overwhelming response from it. Right. And then the next day I started to like work through like the logistics of it. Like I, I had to work through like the administrative portion and there was like 50 people reached out to me and like 25 of them seemed serious. Like they really wanted to get into some lesson taking right away. And just the idea of having to, 
schedule 25 people over 25 hours and figure out how to even work that in with what my kids had going on and what my wife's schedule was. And then, so I started to do it. I started to say, all right, Tuesday, let's go down the list. Is Tuesday at 10 okay? Is Tuesday at 12 okay, you know? And um, then I started thinking, oh man, I've got to take payment with all of these people. And for, and then I'm going to figure out what platform we're on. And then I have to figure out how to like create all of these meetings. And it was an administrative nightmare. Like I, what happened was I realized that I had become more of the time was going to be spent on the administrative portion than was going to be spent in lessons. And I wanted to avoid that. I really wanted to avoid spending more time working outside of lessons than inside of lessons. So we built a platform. And now there's like 75 and almost it's going to be a hundred artists on it in a couple of days. And so now we have a platform with a hundred artists on it. And so it was the greatest all time backfire because talk <laughs> about administrative work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now I'm the co-founder of a tech startup yeah. and I'm working in the lessons. And instead of administrating my 20 lessons a week, I'm helping administrate an entire business right now. So, um, right it didn't make me less busy. It, yeah. made, it made me more busy to create. If I had just built a website for myself, just and only included myself in it and not made, turned it, it didn't turn it into, it just turned in organically into a business, um, then I would have saved myself a lot of time. But instead I've uh, created a lot of work. And, uh, Speaking from a great, personal like, experience, I can say that uh, it's been very helpful for me to kind of get me to connect with my instrument in a new way. I've wanted to teach lessons for a while, but never really felt confident about doing it. You know, I wanted to offer good enough service. And um, I actually just started taking lessons from my original bass teacher last week to like, hey, I need to learn bass, but teach me how to teach too, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the, like, first of all, there's like overcoming that idea of, am I good enough? I'm, you know, like, am I good enough? Not like technically good enough, but like as a teacher, like, am I going to have, what am I, what do I have to offer? Yeah. The, it, the funny thing was I really didn't know the answer to that question when I started this out, but over the course of doing this for four weeks, I've learned so much about myself, both as a bass player and as a musician and as a team member. Um, and as a teacher and instructor, like I've, I've learned that there's an enormous, enormous value for um, the fans of a band that are musicians to get first-hand insight into what it is that's going on in the band that they love. So just first and foremost, outside of whether or not I, you know, have the the theory based, which I went to jazz school for a year. So I have a certain level of theory base and, you know, un rhythmic understanding that I have all, all kinds of exercises and scales and stuff that I can teach people. But um, being able to apply something that you're teaching, like taking a, 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 the major scale and teaching it is one thing and then saying, okay, now we're going to go up and we're going to do Dorian and we're going to do Phrygian and you can teach the patterns and you could try to connect for people. The fact that Dorian is the same notes as the Ionian scale, just starting on the second scale tone, you know, and, and there's ways on the bass to show them that rather than like going from the first position of major to the, you know, sliding up the A string to the D there off of C major, I'm teaching C major modes, sliding up to D and then getting a whole new pattern because of the way that the bass is strong. Um, 
I'm trying to keep people in their first position and show them that starting on the D and playing the same exact scale is how you get D Dorian and starting on the E and just go from the E to the C and there's E Phrygian. You just got to, you know, once we move it over here to the seventh fret of the A string and we're starting on the E there, you're going to have another string so you can add the D and the E on top. But I want you to see the scale in the context of the pattern of C major so that you can continue to grasp the concept that this is all C major. We're working in one key through all of these different scales. Um, but then the really exciting part is stopping on D Dorian and talking about what songs employ a D Dorian scale. And these are songs that people know already. And right. Dorian, I'm starting them in with milestones and so what, and like impressions. And, and taking them through a history lesson of right. Miles Davis and John Coltrane. And then, you know, in 1970, when Miles Davis is now has the electric band, he goes out on, this was the 50 year anniversary actually this week of the dead and Miles Davis playing four shows together. Wait, what? And then, yeah, right. Miles Davis opened for the dead 50 years ago this last weekend. So, Wow. When you put it into context, the historical significance of Miles Davis going on stage before the Grateful Dead and then jamming D. Dorian, basically, and playing group improv on electric instruments, which is what Bitches Brew and that style of jazz fusion is, it puts into context where the Grateful Dead got the idea to even be doing these psychedelic group improv modal jams. Right. You know, and then you fast forward down to Fish and then into bands like, you know, the Biscuits and, you know, and all the other young jam bands that also sit in D Dorian or A Dorian and just play, you know, like funk jams in Dorian mode or whatever it is. And then for Phrygian, it gets really fun because the Biscuits have like six like mainstay popular songs that are kind of a Phrygian mode thing. And I'm yeah. trying to then I'll stop on E Phrygian and be like, this is basis for a day. This is rock candy. This is Caterpillar. Listen to the scale. Now listen to the song. Hear what you already know. You know this. So like these are people who will say, I don't know my modes. Bass players that have been playing for 5, 10, 15 years that don't know their modes. Yep, right. And I'll say this is why I would like to teach the modes uh, first and foremost is because you already do know them. Yeah. You know the, all yeah. of these songs. You know Terrapin Station, that's Lydian Jam. You know Cassidy, it's a Lydian Jam. You know Reba, Reba is Lydian to mix a Lydian. You know, you know all of these modes already. You know how they make you feel. You know how they sound. You just haven't connected what you're listening to, to your instrument and your brain to your fingers. And so going through and teaching that way, it's been a joy. And it's yeah. been a joy, I think, for me, and it's been a joy, hopefully, for the fans. I, you know what I mean? I feel like some of them are really, like, embracing these concepts, you know, and yeah, others are kind of like, hey, bro, I'm just here to, you know, like, hang out and, you know, take one ba bass lesson with somebody I was a fan of. Stop making yeah. me you the know first, I mean? one that, first one I had, he had his wife with him. They were in the kitchen. You know, he did approach it like a, a lesson, but she was just kind of there too. Like, cool, I get to see, you know, how they interact and like, what's it like? The wife's always off screen. I've yeah. learned. <laughs> I've learned this week. There's something they're always looking at over to the side when something funny happens or whatever it is. There's it's a person the there. there yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, Brownie, I think that's a, that's a really good point um, with these lessons. You know, some of my students, they're, in they're enrolled in classes like Scott's Bass Lessons and things like that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and these kind of courses where it's like a, it's not a catered individual lesson. It's like a curriculum, you know? Yeah. So these students are like, yeah, I, I can, I learn these modes. I learn these scales or these techniques, but they want that personal connection. They want to discuss it with somebody and especially a musician that they look up to and they enjoy their music. Like, how do you apply this context? Yeah, you can look up online how to play a Dorian mode, but I, they want to study with somebody and put it into context. Here's a song that, I, that, that the Biscuits play that, that is in a Dorian mode. I think yep. that kind of connection is what fa these fans and these students and just people in general in this time are looking for. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I mean, and, and, and like you say, like, if you want to learn the modes, then they're there. You right. know, they're all there. It's all on YouTube. The whole thing is available in a non-personal, non-one-on-one setting, which brings me to what it really is about. It's a, it's a experiential um, type of a situation. You know, always, always hear millennials love experiences. They don't <laughs> buy things, they buy experiences. Well, this is an experience, you know, going one-on-one -on -one with somebody that you look up to. Um, and there's so many musicians on the platform at this point that have this going on now that they have their own fans and these fans are able to book really unique, not ever before available experiences. And I don't, I can't speak for you, Ben, or I know that I see your name on our sign-up sheet, Luke, but yeah. that when this is Corona thing is over, I just feel like this is something I've wanted to do before yeah. Corona yeah. came along and I didn't have the tools to do it. A, I wasn't sure if I believed in myself. I felt vulnerable even putting it out there that I'd be looking for additional revenue streams when, you know what I mean? When you're like a well-known musician and you kind of want to have there be an image of what things are like. But what I found out, what I found out by, uh, by kind of facing the vulnerability of this and the biscuits had come off of already canceling a tour because of my eye. And we largely didn't tour in 2019. So we got to the first day of Corona and I was like, all right, how many more months can I go for out working before it's before I get uncomfortable with the idea that I'm not working? We've been working for 25 years. I can take off six months like we did last year or another three months like we have this year. But now it's nine months that I've been off in the last, you know, 17 months or something. Right. How many more is it going to be before I start to feel uncomfortable? And the answer was not a lot. <laughs> and I want to, I want not that many more months before I start going into full blown panic attack about not working. And I'm being realistic about how long this might be. Look, people might get back to work next month. Not us. No, absolutely not. We're not going back to work. Not for a while. Let's be honest about it. There's shows that are booked in July. I hope that those, that those shows happen. Yeah. I really don't know how this is going to play out, but I'm, I'm a prepare for the worst and, and hope for the best type of a person. And in doing, in, in thinking like that on day one, I was like, all right, now is the moment where I'm going to figure out all of the things that I need to figure out to know, A, are there people, is there demand for teaching, number one, um, for somebody like me? Is there, what's the platform going to be like? What's the administrative process? I'm just going to dive in head first and see what it is. And what well, I found out was that once 
I declared that I was going to do that. I saw like at least three or four followers of like my page over the next 24 hours, make similar posts, other musicians that were like, I know that they saw my post and you know, there's a certain level of, okay, there's an idea. Maybe I had, maybe it wasn't a unique idea. Maybe somebody else thought of it. Maybe they didn't even see my post and did the same thing um, at the same time, totally legit, no matter how it happened. But what I noticed was people were starting to say like, okay, this is A, an avenue. B, maybe I don't need to feel so vulnerable about this. And I started reaching out to other big musicians. And what I started realizing was we're all in the same boat. Nobody wants to not work for a year. Everybody, whether you're at the smaller level jam band or the biggest, the, I don't want to say the biggest, but the bigger level, you know, mid-level jam bands, they it scales the bigger ones have houses that they own and three kids or four kids and <coughs> nobody nobody felt comfortable looking right. forward and nobody wanted to sit at home waiting to figure out what was going to happen with small business loans or whatever like it was going to be whatever the options people don't want to sit around and do nothing so everybody's trying to find their time to fill their time creatively make tracks with the people that are in your bands go on instagram live give lessons there's a lot of it and i remember being for a long time you know it's like you said about the vulnerability thing uh feeling vulnerable about certain things now we have something you know it's it's a choice between discomforts like i don't want to be uncomfortable putting myself out there with lessons or figuring out how to stream my side project and you know put all that work in but what's the alternative is not doing anything having you know revenues dry up and worrying both what I'm going to do and how I'm going to kind of move forward. So it's, it's sort of pushing us out of our comfort zone in a, in an and effect. where are we coming from? We're cut. Uh, I got to get a drink. Can you grab me a I'll, I'll have one for you, Brownie. I got some water right here. Bob. I got my tea from yesterday. It's nice and cold. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I think that people enjoy watching their, seeing this level of vulnerability from their heroes or just their contemporaries or their peers and seeing people try to adapt and embrace new things. I mean, Ben and I were talking before, I did my first live bass stream um, over the weekend. And that was something I never would have even thought about before. I w- who wants to hear me like play bass riffs for an hour? Right. But it made me completely rethink the process and set up my looping pedal and think, okay, how can I make this interesting and engaging? And I did it like an interactive Q&A. But I, I think that for the long, what we'll see coming out of this, the other side to whatever degree that is and whenever that is, is that musicians have taken that step to put themselves out there more and to connect with fans in a different way. And I think that that is something that everybody is going to hang on to for the long term. I mean, I know that you're, we all want to get back on the road, but these lessons, everyone that's doing it is feeling yeah. personally fulfilled. And whether or not you have the same time, I'm sure you I want to continue. Want to cons- I definitely know, want to continue. And in fact, that was like some of the first comments that I got from the first 10 or 15 people on the platform. Everybody had that aha moment where it was like, this is something that I can do for my hotel room. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's right. if you're giving lessons in person, it's a you you know there's a, a certain level of privacy that you might want as a, a one of the guys in Humphreys McGee. But once they realize that this is going to be something that's done online, you have that privacy that's built in. So and really 
again, you're looking at this is a fan engagement platform. So you want to have that kind of that level, that barrier of privacy built in. But once you have that level of privacy and all of the admin is dealt with and you can do this remotely from whether it's your home because you're stuck in your home or it's the backstage or the back of the bus. Right. Because it's yeah. noon and sound check doesn't happen until 4 p.m. Now, listen, we're coming from a decade where largely and like Ben, I know largely over the last decade, you guys have been building a brand and getting out and touring 150 um, shows a year or whatever it is. But largely our culture has been looking at their phones engrossed in some sort of a social media. And I hang out in a lot of backstages and I know that you guys have had this experience before. You're sitting in the backstage, you're on your phone, and then you look up for a second and there's seven or 10 people and they're all sitting on different chairs and they're all sitting there staring at the, you know? And so in a world where the creators are all kind of checked out and yeah. sitting on their phone, to to what I've learned in the last four weeks is that when you take your phone and you put it down upside down somewhere away from where you are and you start opening up your computer, possibly getting into your Ableton, which yeah. I know you live in your Ableton, Luke, or Logic or wherever you live. I know that you live in your DAW. I know that that um, what what's happening here is you start thinking about the all that other time and i don't consider time i'm like gary v like i don't consider time spent figuring out how instagram works as time wasted because you are building a platform there and you're building a community there yeah. so uh but certainly there's many hours during the day when you're on stage where you could just grab your computer grab your base plug it into you know a mini uh interface run on the back of the bus or stay in your hotel and teach a couple lessons. And if you yeah. do that five or seven times a week over the course of the week, you still have more than ample time to build your online platform. You still are still at soundcheck an hour and a half early. And then you're coming home from tour with an additional revenue stream. And for bands that are growing and building, and I know both of you know what this is like, mm -hmm. you're going out on the road you are selling a couple thousand tickets. I, Pigeons is killing it. Your, your guarantees are going up. You're trying to keep your ticket price low, but you're in a bus and now your lighting guy is doing a killer job and you want to kind of give him enough to work with to make it look great. And we all know what that looks like after Settle Up. We yeah. all know what that looks like after Settle Up. And the veneer of rock stardom once you get home and you start working through the spreadsheets, it's different how it looks on stage and how it looks at, on the bottom line. Because you're constantly reinvesting in, in the project itself. So like well, you said, when you scale up to having houses and kids, you have to reinvest the money you've made in I, well, your life now. When Pigeons opened for Conspirator at the Sonar, whatever, Baltimore Soundstage, I walked up to your van at the end of the night and I gave you guys two pieces of advice. One was a joke and one was serious. Do you remember what they were? Uh, I remember, I think we were just blown away. You came into our green room and said you guys were watching our set and we were all like, oh my God, Mark Brownstein was watching our set and he enjoyed it. So I don't know if I 
clung to anything else other than how so at the end of the night you guys were driving away in your van and i walked up to the to the window and i don't know if it was greg or jeremy but they both remember the advice uh i've asked them and the advice was this number one you can't wear pajamas on stage oh yeah yeah that was the electric factory in philly i remember that one oh that one okay and number two i said don't get a tour bus until you could afford two tour buses. It was probably the best advice I've ever given any young band. And I watched you guys for the next five years. And and Jeremy actually told me that like a couple years later that he really took that advice to heart, that he really like internalized what I was trying to say was don't worry about looking like rock stars because what's more important is building the business in a smart way. What's more important than appearing like you have enough money to be on a bus and feeling like, wow, we've made it. We do 2000 people every night and now we're on a bus. If you make that jump from a van, which costs like $800 a week or zero a week, if you're using, you know, your bass player's van, which is where they usually get it. I don't know whose van your van was, but. Um, I helped. Uh, find it well Jeremy found the new one but me and Greg drove up to New Jersey and found our, our shitty old one and that that's how we got ours but we, we right and you guys held on to that thing for a while and I remember seeing you guys again and being like wow these guys are big to be in a van I'm so proud of them for for making that decision and that's building. one of the reasons we're in a slightly okay position is because we did wait long enough and um yeah that that really did stick with us because uh, you can't really scale back comfort levels like once you get to a certain point you're going to want to be used to that and it, you feel it too so if you're building up and you know slowly moving forward we did the same thing with you know financial aspects too it's like wait until you not till you can afford it but till you absolutely can't even you don't have to think about it like obviously we can give ourselves a little bit of a raise now yeah because we've been waiting so long and building it and that's honestly as funny as it is that you said something about the pajama pants um, I think Greg does just wear it to be comfortable, but it also, it does create this like, yeah, casual, you know, we're just here hanging out, you know, with you guys too. Um, we're just here to have fun. The pajama pants thing was just a joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I stopped wearing pajama pants the bus thing was- a while back. Cause I don't want to get pegged to like one look or image, but if that's one you're getting pegged to, at least you're comfortable while you're doing it. So. Listen, you look great now that you're not wearing pajama pants. I gotta say, like, it's for, the Ben Carey like, style is steezing, man. You got the Ben yeah, Carey. Like, you've got great style. I'm not gonna tell you what to wear or not. What I mean, the joke was right, right. Back in the day, Paper Diamond, you know, uh, Numa opened for us, and Alex Botwin, the bass player of Numa, was wearing sweatpants on stage, and not like cool. Like now, everyone has like cool looking like jogger sweatpants they were like they're probably back in style they were like champion sweatpants but they were like gray (laughs) and they were like really hanging down and i just was like hey dude (laughs) you know wear sweatpants on stage and he took it to heart and changed like his whole style up yeah and so i always thought it was funny what that i could tell somebody to change their style and that they would even listen to me so that was what i was riffing on with the pajama pants thing but eventually Paper Diamond went back to wearing sweatpants on stage and he saw me and it's like, I'm back, sweatpants. baby. Well, I remember that electric um, factory show. I think it was electric factory. Either way, it was somewhere in Philly, but that's where you and I first connected too and sort of talked about, you know, how you got to where you are. And I, I really, even that just quick interaction with you, musician to musician, uh, kind of 
uh, adds towards what we're doing now with the chill sessions and with the lessons. It's like, you're just a regular dude who just happened to get into this position. You work hard and you make it what you, what you are, but to kind of work with students, bring it back to the live lesson masters, like it's not just, you know, you can go online and find lessons, but to be able to talk to someone who's doing what you want to do. I remember when I first see Lotus and Disco Biscuits and, you know, uh, um, bands like that back at the 930 club, when I was in college, I looked up like, this is amazing. I want to do this too. And to yeah. be able to talk to someone's like what, not only just musically, like understanding what modes are and what they do. I think, uh, when we were touring with Twiddle, um, they call Dorian Trey Minor, which I think <laughs> is pretty funny. They call Trey Manor. Trey, Trey Minor. So it's like Trey Minor, but like, you know, it's the door, you know, Dorian, which you kind of, and a I lot mean, of my that's the thing that ties together Miles Davis, John Coltrane, the Grateful Dead, Fish, and the Disco Biscuits. And it, it, this is what I'm trying to teach is that there's it impressions doesn't sound like any of these jam bands and the Grateful Dead don't sound like fish and fish doesn't sound like the disco biscuits, but what's tying it together is group improv over Dorian scales and the biscuits, we bump it up, uh, up to Phrygian and use that a lot. And all of the bands jam over Lydian, you know what I mean? And mix a Lydian, forget it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like uh week I don't, I don't know how week goes. I don't like, I haven't sat down and tried to figure it out, but it sure as hell sounds like it's probably, um, a Mixolydian jam, you know what I mean? It's just like a one seven four Mixolydian jam. It's like you know, like the end of uh, most like Run Like Hell, how we play it, or the end of Basis, or any of the end of the, our, our big like joyous triumphant Pinks. But yeah, teaching but, you know, it stuff. works. It works though, and that's what you're trying to, to show people and teach people. It's like here's what works. Like, Trey Minor. One of my first lessons early on was a bass teacher was like, so most modern music is in some form of blues pentatonic with. You, you know, usually a major six thrown in there. And that's almost all of our songs from an early time. It's like, what route are we in? Where are we going? And then I would just use that shape and just mess around with it, you know, being wrong sometimes, but that's, you know, jamming is being wrong for the right reasons or, you know, intentionally getting to the certain point. As long as you're you know what you're doing wrong. for a while. So like, you're never wrong is what I learned. On the first day of jazz school, I'll tell the story. I've told a couple of my students this story. My first ensemble teacher, he was named Arnie Lawrence, saxophone player. And this is how he started the, the semester, my first semester at school. And we're like, it was, I was in like the beginner ensemble. They didn't really let beginner students into this jazz school, but my bass teacher um, went to the new school jazz program and he, I didn't really pass the audition, but he convinced them to let me in. And then when they, yeah, I did for a year. I auditioned for that and didn't get in. That was the most intense audition process i've ever had yeah, it was like it was really a pianist scary. and a drummer i was playing like a some jazz standard but the way that they nothing was straight ahead like nah. they were playing with such a minimal abstract style i was completely lost <laughs> i was lost too and i didn't get in either and and <laughs> then my bass teacher who went there went to the people who ran it and were like listen this is a student of mine he's a really fast learner he's a really good student can you make a, a spot an exception for him so they did but then what they needed to do was they needed to make an exception for four other people so that there was an ensemble for me to play with so they found they took four other players that didn't get in and they let them in so that there would be a beginner ensemble for that next year. Cool. And, that, and then I had this ensemble and the four of us, the five of us 
we had no idea what we were doing. We were all in the class on the first day. And we were all, here we were in jazz school. And our teacher walks in and he looks at us and he goes, it's the first thing he says, rest in peace, Arnie Lawrence. He says, there are no wrong notes. And then a horn, like a horn goes outside, like we're in New York, it's on Fifth Avenue and 13th Street. And like a car horn goes, and he grabs his saxophone and goes, like that. And he goes, there's music everywhere. It's just like, this guy's a trip. And then he goes, what's that noise? So I, 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 he said, let me explain what I mean by there are no wrong notes, okay? And he's like, you're playing Dorian scale. We don't even know what that means. And you're playing the scale and you're in a D Dorian and instead of hitting the B, you hit a B flat, right? So like, it's a quote unquote wrong note, but all you gotta do is next time you come back around, hit that B flat again. And then you hit that B flat a third time. It's not a wrong note anymore. Now you're in, now you're in D Aeolian. You know what I mean? You've, you haven't, you're not playing a wrong note. You're playing a new scale. You've changed the key. And so every time a student is playing a scale now and they hit a wrong note, I stop them and make sure they understand. I'm like, stop. That's not a wrong note. You just, now what you're in is F major. You know, you just change keys. It's pretty cool. We do yeah. it all the time in our jams. Somebody will, will be in Dorian and somebody will hit the flat six and then everybody will jump on that. And then we've jumped up a fourth and now we're, you know, we're, we went from C major to F major. We're still in D, right. you know, we're in a D mode, but we went from D Dorian to D Aeolian. So we went from C major to F major, no wrong notes, just different keys. And, right. and any scale is like that. Any scale that you're in, if you hit the wrong seven or the wrong six or the wrong two or the wrong four, you're just changing the key. Right. That's I mean, all it, you're doing. It, it's like the Jimi Hendrix quote, if you hit a wrong note, play it twice. And then right. it's not a wrong note anymore. That's why it's, it's a wrong note anymore because right. you just established right. a new scale and that's it. You know, that's, I love this Trey Minor thing. Um, I, when I was starting out, I had, I had a chance to, like I was going to see Fish and the same thing as you're describing, I'm looking up on stage at the Roseland in New York City where I first saw Fish and I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to play, you know what I mean? This is how, this is what I want to do. And a couple of years after that, so that was 1993, like 1995, the Biscuits are now existing. We're playing a show at the TLA uh, that was a post Fish show and the next day, Fish had off and they were hanging out at the Four Seasons in uh, Philly. One of my friends, like a friend of a friend was like, hey, I'm going to hang out with Mike Gordon. You want to come and hang out? And I went to Mike Gordon's hotel room at the at the Seasons. And I remember a couple of things about the hang. Basically, I remember everything about it. I was like <laughs> going in to meet my idol at the time. But getting, like you say, getting to sit down and talk with him a little bit about being in a band and and you know i wouldn't call mike gordon my mentor but like in a lot of ways he is my mentor without knowing it um <clears throat> and that first talk we had he put the his bass in my hand like he knew i played bass i was in the disco biscuits and he handed me his bass in his hotel room and it was like here then he started quizzing me <laughs> 
And it was scary at first. I was like, man, I didn't really know that much about bass at this time. You know what I mean? Like I, I like did spend a year in music school. The first question he asked was a softball. He was like, what's the most important note in the scale? And I was like, the root. And he's like, that's the other most important note. And I was like, the fifth. I was like, I know this one. I know this one. The fifth. And he was like, the fifth. He was like, listen, you can just get away with just playing the one and the five the whole time. You know what I mean? And then he like asked me to like jam on his bass a little. And I did. It was, it was fun. Then he played me some gray boy all-stars. And he's like, this is my favorite band uh, that I like to listen to. He's like, my favorite band is this band, the Great by All-Stars. And I had heard of them and was like, oh, this is super cool. They were going through this like funk renaissance. This was, uh, actually, this was fall 97 um, at this point. Um, so it was four years after I first saw them and, you know, and, and had been in music school. And uh, then we went down to his boss. Like, he's like, why don't we go down to the boss, you know? Mm-hmm. And we went down to the boss, me and this girl, Melissa, and him. And he, he played us this, this um, video that kind of explained, I hadn't said anything to him about it because I wasn't really into what Fish was doing at that time. Like I had come from like the 93, 94, 95 school, like Machine Gun Trey and like really like crazy wild jams then. And they had just on a dime, slowed it way down and started playing funk jams all day. Like these start stop things. And I started to see that every show was, had that 97 cow funk kind of a vibe to it. It was fall 97. It's the most famous tour of all time because of this thing that it was the most popular thing in the world for new fans and old fans alike. I just, it wasn't my thing at the time. I don't, I had something in my brain that was preventing me from liking it. It was like, um, uh, I was being, I was acting jaded as a fan about it. Um, And then he sat me down and he's like, Hey, I want to show you this video. Uh, it's this James Brown video and this Fishman's been watching it every day. So he puts the video on and we watch the James Brown video. And he's like, man, we just started watching this at the beginning of the tour. Every day we come back in the bus and we watch this James Brown video. And then, and now we've like started to try to emulate it on stage. And like, oh, and now like in every jam, we're just like trying to emulate this James Brown video and just get really good at playing funk. And I was like, oh, I was blown away. I was like, wow. I can't believe, like, I I don't know how many people know this. I mean, I'm telling you guys and whoever yeah, listens to the podcast, why they switch. I don't know how many people know, understand, like, what had come before this yeah. abrupt shift in the way that Fish was jamming. And as, like, a fan of the band, I got to get into a room with this guy and actually have him show me the video that had had such a profound influence on what they were doing which put it into perspective for me as a fan and opened me up personally to what they were doing that i was like man this is super fucking cool and i got this back like inside look at how fish is jamming right now and um i kind of have never forgotten that moment, obviously. And I've now have, I've played with Mike a bunch of times and had, had the pleasure of hanging out with him a handful of times over the years. And, uh, uh, but that experience of having him sit there and kind of talk to me about how they're jamming and show me where they were getting it from. Mm -hmm. That's I'm sort of rehaving that experience right now with fans who are coming onto the platform and and learning from me who are who they're telling me 
like, oh man, the experience of sitting here and working through the jams with you and trying to get an understanding of how you get from E Phrygian to A Mixolydian and a basis for a day jam um, is mind blowing. And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I totally have had the same experience with the, with the band that I was most into at the time when I was going to see concerts uh, like, um, actively constantly. Now you're creating an environment where other people, like not just one-on-one, -on -one, but you can start doing this with 25 people at a time and spread out, you know, your message. And one thing I love about music is each new generation can take what they love about the old generation or the previous one that's, you know, concurrent, but then I love what you did and here's where I'm going to take it. And to me, that's one of the joys of music itself. And that's why this Live Less Masters thing is uh, so attractive to me and to others is it, it really helps kind of spread that you know, musical message outward. Well, like your low end Zen with Ben situation, you know what I mean? Like you're like, what happened was I came at it from the lessons angle. And then when I talked to Pony and Pony and Alicia and I got on a call together, Pony and we were at first, how we were doing it was the artist would get on a zoom just like this with Alicia and I, and we would get onto the website and go in and manually enter all of their schedules. Like, what do you want your schedule to be like? And we would just sit and talk with them and Pony said, and, and like, you know, creativity begets creativity. Uh -huh. he, he, Pony was like, this is super cool, but I just want to address one thing. Like most of my fans don't play bass. I bet a lot of them would like to just crack open a cold Budweiser at 7.30 at night and kind of have 20 minutes to chill. Right. And we were like, chill. <laughs> that was it. We were like, yeah. yes, of course. We were, we were, of course, going to make that an option. Let's do it. And, and we put into Pony. Pony's chill, you know, basic, stasic hang, hangout. And, and we added the, the chilling briefly with Brownie. And then, and then as we were onboarding new artists, we just pointed it out to them. If you want to add in a different category and a different offering, tell us how long you'd like to do it for and tell us, you know, what you'd like it to be all about, how much you'd like to charge for it. And now we have dozens of artists offering these meet and greets on the platform. You know what I mean? It wasn't. Yeah, I think it's one of the most interesting things too, Brownie, because, you know, I mean, like you said, like I give private lessons. I, I applied for the live lesson masters thing. I, I love the message. I really want to be a part of the network. Um, but I think that, I think this chilling with your artists is so cool. Like if you had told a music fan three, two, three months ago, hey, you, you're going to have an opportunity where you can sign up and hang out with your favorite musician and talk about whatever you want. I think they would have said like, no way. Like, I can't do that. It seems like such a, a, a novel concept that's now becoming normal. And it's like such a, it's so cool. Like just to hear you tell that story about Mike is so cool. Like at Berkeley for me, some of my favorite teachers and lessons were when I didn't have a bass in my hand. Um, like the great Danny Morris, Demo Plays Bass, shout out. Like I know Chuck Jones from Dopapod, Dan Africano, a lot of us studied with him. Uh -huh. I didn't take lessons with him, but he had these class survey of bass seminars and we're, we would analyze and talk music, right? Bring in a Jay Dilla track and would be like, this is this, I'm really digging donuts right now, this track. And he's like, well, let's talk about the bass. He taught me how to listen to music and how he listened to music. And that can be just as eye-opening a thing as working with an instrument in your hands, how to listen to music. How do your idols listen to music? Mm -hmm. Bonnie, I've, I, I hope some of these students don't mind that I've taken up their whole first lesson just talking to them sure and not ever giving them a chance to touch their bass because 
when they tell me that they're really just here because they want to like, they don't really want to learn bass. They just want to quickly learn like the best way to throw down like a three chord progression on bass so that they could jam so guitar soloing over it. And my first question is, do you know your modes? And when their answer is no, I then spend an hour explaining to them why I can't help them without them understanding their modes. And yesterday I spent a whole hour with one dude, two dude, different dudes, kind of walking them through the different modes, connecting it to the songs that they know already. And they never touched their bass once. It was just like, hey, listen, this is what I'm gonna teach you. And the reason I have to teach it to you is because you can't solo over changes. Like I could sit here and go, A, 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 you know, C, 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 D, D, D. I could like give you a simple one, three, four chord progression, right? But what kind of A is this? Is it just pentatonic? Because so then you're not, you can't solo using a six or a, or a two without really like getting into what mode you're in. And then is it a major six? Because if it's the major six on in, in the A, if you're an A Dorian, then, then, then that C is actually a Lydian C and that, and then the D is mixolydian. There's an F sharp in this scale, not an F. It's essential. It's just a one note difference between that F sharp and the F. If it's an F, then you're an Aeolian and now you're actually in C major. Right. You know, your approach, not, your approach changes. Not G major. Well, if you want to solo over AAA to CCC to DDD, you need to know if you're, once the chord changes come in, you need to know if you're in C major, if you're in G major. But, you know, are you playing, are you soloing with an F or an F sharp? And, and, and um, this is an essential piece of the puzzle to soloing over changes. And it's an essential piece of the puzzle when people come to me and they say, hey, I want to just learn how to write some chord changes while jamming. And then, oh, you know, how does the neck open up? Like, what, how do I know what notes to play? Do you know your modes? No. You're laying the foundation for, I mean, that's what you do as a bass player, but also with music, like that's why bass, I started on piano and I still see the keys, you know, like the notes when I'm playing, I see the patterns on bass, but I see the notes on a keyboard. Me too. But to, to like, you have to lay the foundation in order to understand music as a whole. And I'm so grateful I found bass as my instrument and have, you know, delved into it as much as I have. Cause like you said, there's some basses who don't know the modes for five, 10, 15 years. I understood what they were. It's on some level, but then I find them like, Oh, I'm switching from a minor major six to a minor six in Dorian. I'm going from Dorian to Aeolian, just like you said. And right. I've been doing that by ear so long that when I finally right. it, it becomes goes from wrong to intentionally. But if you do it by ear, it's listen, it's great to do it by ear, but the thing that is that is for me is if you go from a Dorian to A Aeolian, great. Okay, now you're jamming an A Aeolian. But if you're just an A, it's one thing. But if I bring in an like A and then I go to an F and a D, it's kind of important to know in A Aeolian, which is C major, that that F is a F Lydian and that that D is D Dorian because now it opens the whole neck up to when you go to the F, you're not just stuck playing F and C. Or one you can and go five. around in that, in that scale. Yeah. You can play phrases over the scale and then move to the D and play a phrase in Dorian, then come back down to your A Aeolian. And 
for a guitar, I have guitarists that are studying with me, learning this like jamming technique. I now tell them, listen, all that doesn't mean anything to you. You're just in C major. You know what I mean? You need to kind of hear where the, where, where you're, where the C major notes land in terms of chord tones of these changes, mm-hmm. you know, um, but you're not going a Aeolian, a, you know, F Lydian, D Dorian. And I know for some people who will listen to this podcast, that is totally over your head. And for sure, it's, it should be over people's heads. It's, it's guess what? It's over most musicians. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like times tables. You have to understand it and drill it so that you're not thinking about like, okay, I'm in, you know, the the Ionian and I want to go to the Mixolydian in the same key. And then that, how does that shift that you don't think about it? You just let your fingers and your. Right. Well, I'm now analyzing what we've been doing and discovering that, like you say, by ear, we are employing these techniques, but also in analyzing it, I'm getting a bigger, a deeper understanding of what all the scales are and all of these different chord changes. And I feel like when we get back out onto stage, I'm going to have a, a, a better grasp of the whole entire mm-hmm. neck when bringing yeah. in chord changes because I will now do the math. Now right. I'm going to sit there for a second and say, okay, we are in, Dor- we are in A, Do- you know, we are in Trey Dorian right now, <laughs> which is G major, which means that that C that I'm bringing up has an F sharp, you know, it, it's it, that C yeah. that I'm bringing in is going to be Lydian. And that's going to give a depth to our jamming at this point where I can go to that four and confidently know that if we're in Trey Dorian, that C has, has an F sharp in it. And, and that's going to, that's going to make, certain jams that we've done over the years more emotive and give me more options of what to do you also let your ear kind of lead into that as well like this is what i hear why am i hearing that oh it's because i'm shifting to this rather than just doing it because it sounds right you right. and you have a much bigger map like it's sort of like a microscope you have the 5x and you have the 25x you know we've been jamming at 5x but we're going to see a lot more specific what's going on yes in the picture and what and one thing i'm telling people is this listen if you don't want to put the time in, then just play pentatonic. <laughs> just you know go I mean? back to the blues scale, man. You, Brandon, you're changing a whole generation's view of from just playing the blues scale over everything to start using their noggins a little bit more, man. Yeah, and, well, and that's. I, I wanted to ask you about that too. Just, I mean, do you find like just Ben and I talk about it? Teaching is learning as well, and it makes you analyze your own playing and your own things. And and okay, this is something that I want to dive more into. Do you find yourself? I, I love hearing that you have all these new concepts that you're going to start looking at and taking into an improv approach. Do you find yourself just feel like you're getting better and, and playing more and maybe writing more solo stuff like that from teaching so much? Yeah, well, I have like one student that's a jazz. He's like 17 years old and he studies jazz and he's got his head is so far ahead of his fingers. He's very yeah. fast. He's in a Grateful Dead cover band. But when I slowed him down, to 60 beats per minute and turn the metronome on, he couldn't do it. Like he was really shaky, but he's like, you know, you know, like he rips and understands theory very well. So for me, for him, my first thing was, hey dude, let's slow this all the way down and let's get you locked into a really slow metronome. Cause once you can play eighth notes at 50 beats per minute, then you're, and you could do that really tight 
then we can speed it back up and your playing is going to sound completely differently. Mm -hmm. Harder to keep time slow than fast a lot of the time. Way harder. It's not a lot of the time, all of the time. All the time, yeah, totally. It's harder to keep time slow. So I've been putting people on at 75 beats per minute on a metronome and saying, when you get this, don't go to 80, go to 70. That's exactly what opposite direction go from six right. so from 75 to 70 to 65 to 60 and when you could do it at 50 then we're going to go back up to a normal tempo and by the way this kid took me seriously and in a week his playing improved so much from the first time i met him in a week in three yeah. weeks it's like the kid's going to be one of the best he's 17 he's going to be one of the best bass players in the country he's awesome. unbelievable but i'm giving him these kind of advanced um arpeggio exercises that I've do for myself that I've either gotten online or, or created my own exercises. And he's just crushing through them in every mode. At, like he's doing arpeggios in all of the, like major arpeggios, minor arpeggios, uh, seven arpeggios, uh, ha- like do, uh, Locrian arpeggios. And he's going up like over a swing and he's crushing it and at any speed in every key. Okay, after a week. So yes, then I have to be like, all right, this kid's ripping through my stuff. <laughs> I, so I'm going and finding new mm-hmm. um, exercises that I don't even know just right. to stay on top of him. I, I'm, my, I'm stumping him at the beginning of every lesson with something that I've been spending seven or eight days working through myself to get super, super proficient over. Cool. But yeah, it's Monday. And I've got him on Thursday and I've got three days to come up with yet a new one because he's right now is ripping through the beast, which is doing the major scale, three notes, each string starting on the E. So like E, F, G, and then A, B, C, and then E, S, D, E, F, and then G, A, B, and then down the major scale and then continuing up and down the whole entire neck through C major um three notes on each string and it opened up the way that i look at c major uh on the neck right now it's a whole different pattern when you're playing these scales three notes on each string rather than playing them in the pattern that you know them you know c d e f g a b c is is different than taking it starting on an e or starting on a g what c major starting on a g in three notes it has a it starts on a g and the next note is an a and the next note is a b so it's a five fret stretch so i'm looking at the neck in a new way that i've never looked at it um and this is forcing me to go out Mm -hmm. and find new exercises that i haven't done before probably should have done all of them already but you know i've been busy being in a jam band that's why i'm taking lessons because i'm afraid you know jeremy talked about lessons when he was doing them a i don't know a year or two ago he's like he has a jazz student too who's pushing him beyond what he even knows and he's like well i gotta learn more and so i i'm haven't gotten to that point yet i've only had two lessons but i figure someone's gonna come along who's gonna just like you said force me to stay one week ahead of him basically I'm trying to stay one week ahead of Joey. And his dad bought, booked him like six or seven lessons right off the bat. Cool. So I've still got a couple more weeks with him. And I hope he'll stay on. Like what, the, where we're, what I'm going to start doing now is, uh, is the next week with him, we're going to sit down at the beginning of the lesson and we're going to start working through Cassidy by the Grateful Dead, which, has a, a, which I really love because the verse of Cassidy is, starts in major 
and then goes to minor. Same, you know, it's like a key change. It goes from E major to A major and then E minor to A minor. And then when you get into the jam, the jam is in Lydian. So it's employing, uh, it's, it employs a lot of different kind of key changes and mode changes and modal jamming. And it has some cool like rhythmic stuff. So I told him last week, I was like, we're going to learn Cassidy next week. Probably he's just going to show up on Thursday knowing Cassidy completely. <laughs> Cassidy, you know? Well, yeah, that's so cool though, Brandy. I love that concept of like pushing each other. It's the same. I have a student later, Billy. He's a really talented studying jazz at Middlebury College in Vermont. And he's got great theory, but we like to do what you what you talked about, getting back to basics. Hey. Back to basics. But, um, <laughs> but like, you know, he like he transcribed this Phil Lesh solo, Eyes of the World, that we're going to get into. And for me, like transcribing is a really difficult thing, but my background isn't in the Grateful Dead. You know, I, I, I'm aware of it. I love it. I admire it, but it's not my background like it is for him. So I'm learning from him. About, like, how did you transcribe it? What do you find Phil's like licks to be like that? So I, when you get to that dynamic of student and teacher, where it's not just, okay, I'm teaching you everything. And it's not just the sensei, Padawan kind of thing. You're pushing each other to learn and to step out of your comfort zone and your boxes. That's when that real growth happens. And that's what's so cool about the teaching dynamic, I found. Yeah. And I definitely took, I like opened up my last lesson with, hey, man, I, I went and found a really cool exercise. And I spent the week working on it. And I don't 100% have it down. I'm going to show right. it to you slow right now. But you know, if I were to speed this up to my fastest speed, I'm going to probably miss a couple notes as well. The guy who taught it to me played it five times and missed a note every single time, you know, one or two notes. And then he would like circle the notes he missed on the replay of the video. Well, you're learning it together and like learning those things together is... It, it, it goes back to this whole musicians opening themselves up to be more vulnerable, where we're figuring out that that's okay. Like one of the most inspiring moments for me this year was I got to see Tool perform their new album mm. at Mohegan Sun, and they were make like fucking up the songs. And I see like the guitarist Adam Jones looking at Danny Carey like as they're missing hits, and me and my drummer Rory are saying they were like, "We're watching Tool fuck up their new songs. <laughs> this is so cool. Like they're humans, <laughs> you know." Right, and that's the thing with a band like Tool, where like the imp- is all perfection and right. and also like it like like intellectual like musicianship intellectual yeah. like you know time meters that you think of these guys like they have such an advanced understanding of how time works over each other like different meters work on top of each other that you would think you'll never hear them fuck up one of the things i liked about fish was i never heard them make mistakes ever you know and then i did and the first time i heard them make a mistake was at glens falls 1994 i had been seeing them for you know almost two years and i had never noticed a real like kind of missed note in any of their performances and it was just like the antelope in the third set of the Halloween show and just coming around into like the run, run, run part. It kind of just train wrecked for a second. And then I was just like, I was like, oh my God, I've never heard anything like that out of these guys. They're human. Right. So fucking cool. Well, that's yes, what the tool, man. I mean, tool. They are human, it turns out, but right. nobody knows that, right? <laughs> well, now you do. It's like I was, Ben and I have been talking about like Tool, like, because he has some students that want to learn it. I teach Tool lessons. If they want to learn a certain special song like Fruit Wolf Dance, I'm like, well, we're doing 46 and 2 first. Because that's the song I ripped off to write that bass line. Hold on one you second. I'm going to get my dog. 
good. <laughs> but like it, Ben, it's like what we were saying too. You know, it's like yeah. with Tool, like it's all like D minor Phrygian, mm-hmm. but it's like all the the rhythms, like the polyrhythms, the parts. The, the that's what makes their music so like complex and stacked. Yeah, and um, it's cool. It's so cool to come back to. That's the, like uh, a whole other cool thing to explore. With less. Yeah, it's cool to come back to the whole. Um, you know, the live lesson masters is it's about mastering music, which is never, you never master it. You're just working on mastering it. So for the teacher and the student, both were both on the same journey, just at different places and teachers a little further along. So like, Hey, don't take this left here, maybe go right or straight instead, you know, like with the metronome thing you're talking about, I wish I had drilled on a metronome early on. Like I, if I'm moving my head, which I actually learned from you, to really keep time, you have to be moving your body. And yeah. you know, if you move your head around, that's how you're keeping That's how it, I you know. keep time. It turned out it probably detached my retina eventually. No, I don't. <laughs> so is that what happened with that? No, no, I'm just kidding. But yeah. <laughs> you know what I would say to you? Yeah. Like, I busted the metronome out like two years ago to test myself because now Conspirator played on a click for many years. You know what I mean? So we yeah. were playing on a click, but that got torch back all- there playing the drum and bass shit. Like, right. You need to. <laughs> and the, but the click also had eight, eighth notes and 16th notes in it. So each of those, each of those beats are really close to each other. So it's easy to play on top of. It's basically like a fast metronome. I took it out and slowed it way down. And at, you know, at first, it was like, okay, I need to work on this a little bit, but very quickly, like within, and I'm telling my students this, within a couple of hours, I had locked in with my metronome and, right. and, and then I started putting the metronome on the two and the four and feeling how that helps you create a kind of a swing feel. Like I knew that from jazz school. I just, when I was in jazz school, wasn't, uh, in time enough to get ever to where I could just put a metronome on a two and four and and play over it. But um, but I would say do that now because if you wish that you had done it then, you you can get the full benefit of it in like a week. Like if you play on metronome every day for a week at all different tempos, it will be in place of having spent that time that you didn't do it then. Like the metronome is it's tuning your brain to the time clock. And if you were to tune your brain to the time clock now, it's just as good as if you did it 10 years right, ago. It's never too late to start building up good habits. And yeah, I'm, I'm starting to go back Do to my arpeggio that my bass teacher taught me. And I'm gonna, you know, even just naming some of the notes in time, like I can play it at a certain speed, but if I'm moving up a little bit, like, okay, just saying the notes without thinking, like pick a key and then, you know, I'll notice that with my bass students, like, I'll be like showing them and like trying to say the notes and granted I'm thinking about it more and like kind of on the spot. So might add some element, but I need to just know it again, like the times tables, like right in there and playing it to a metronome will, you know, you can't slow down. You have to just stick with it. Um, and I'm showing the students, I'm per- turning my metronome on and playing with the metronome at 60 beats per minute and just show, and even better yet, just counting one and two and three and four. And you could just turn the metronome on at 60 beats per minute or 50 and just count eighth notes and you're still tuning your brain to the metronome and and if you do it for a week now it doesn't matter that you didn't do it then you're going to from here on forth have that kind of improved time you've made albums so you've had to go into the studio and turn a metronome on it's not a foreign concept to you um i would imagine are you guys using a metronome in the studio yeah and that that, when we first started doing it so uh that was with our old drummer dan and that was 
you know, some of our songs do kind of breathe a little bit. We actually realized uh, in our song Pop Off, when we hit the main part, it drags a little bit. So we went from like 122 to 118 and it, it cut. And we tried playing to a metronome. And I was like, oh, this isn't quite feeling right. But then when we, uh, when Alex Skater got into the studio with us, our engineer was like astounded. He, was, he you know, he'll do the adjustments of the kick and the snare to make sure it's on the metronome. And he'll look yeah. at him and be like, yep, he's exactly on, hmm. you know, no, no problem. Uh, and that's because he's been playing drums for so long and playing, practicing to a metronome. He's, his work ethic is so inspiring to me. Yeah. Uh, and well, you know, if the drummer's not practicing to a metronome, you're fucking, sh you're fucked. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same with us. Like we don't, for the special, we don't record to, we don't play to a metronome and we don't record to one in the studio. We only will occasionally if it's a song we know we're going to have punch-ins just yeah. to make that a bit easier. Yeah. Um, but we don't have metronomes, but we play to a lot of like live loops. Um, yeah. Like Johnny has three different delay pedals and he sets different guitar loops. So it's something that Rory has to play along to a loop. It's a different way of playing to a metronome. And we want bands that we really like look up to like Battles. That's a band that like, it, it was good. And now it's just guitar and the Ableton and drums, but it used to be three of them. But the drummer, John Stanier, he has a stack of amps behind him so he can hear the loops. Yeah. And like, and they make mistakes live. One of my favorite shows, talk about bands messing up. I saw Battles play Boston Calling like three or four years ago. Yeah. It was in the middle of the day. And like John Stanier is the drummer from Helmet. He's going hard, sweating. And it, I could tell some loops were kind of chaotic. And afterwards he gets off the stage and I had friends working there. So I was hanging around backstage and he's just like, that set fucking sucked. Like, damn it. What a train wreck slams his trailer door. And I'm like, damn. I'm like, yeah, like they, they, you know, live mistakes. Like it happens. And especially when you're trying to play to loops. Yeah. Playing to loops is difficult. We always found that it was a little bit one. It was a little bit risky. And so we like got to the point where we were like, we're gonna, if we use loops, we're gonna, throw a click on and just make sure all of the computers are slaved together to the same click. And, you know, Alan just throws a click into our ears and we play along with metronome on stage. Many of the jams that don't even have loops in them, there will just be on the click the whole time. Hey buddy. Hi. How's it going? Well, and, and, and so we're playing, we're, we play to a click live. We play to, a, you know, and it's, it's not like a loop. It's a fucking metronome. Like he really is just like click. And you know, John always has it in his ear if it's on. I've only started using it recently, and I find it's really helpful because what will happen is if I if I don't have the click in and they're on a click, I'll feel like the one like I'll want it to like pick up a little bit or get some energy, and I'll be like, man, these guys are just like holding back. But then once the click is on, and then I can play to the click, I will hear the where the where they're getting their holding back from and it stops sounding like it stops making me feel like I want to go somewhere else and I can sort of sink into the time that we're all being fed it's like so, listening to another in instrument another musician it's just a very steady musician like you have to hear I mean, it there's time there's the click Alan's right in time is what I'm hearing rather when the click's not there I'll be like oh Alan's playing this a little slow the click comes on suddenly I'm like Alan's right the fucking time this guy's killing it right now you know yeah. and then I could concentrate on me getting comfortable at that tempo and being in the moment there as they say in fish the trick is to surrender to the flow and then I can just <laughs> surrender to that and and exist in that moment rather than attempting to be in some other thing that 
we're that's in my head that's not that we're not in you know what i mean so will you play to them like if they both have a click on and you don't but you're kind of just listen like well is, is that something you'll do or if the clicks on is it in everyone's ear so the way that it's been for the last 10 years is the clicks on and i'm not hearing it only the in the last tour did i i needed to turn the click on for tractor beam okay because what will happen is there'll be segments where the drums drop out completely but I have a baseline that still needs to be played for eight bars or I'm, I'm like playing like a, a pad or something. So I needed to turn that click on over that segment. Um, and once I started doing that and playing with it over that segment, I was like, man, this is pretty awesome. Like uh, uh, 124 really sounds like 124 with the click on. And, it, and I'm, I'm not trying to feel like I need to be at 128 or 130 or something, which is where we live a lot of the time. I'm, I'm sinking in at the tempo we're supposed to be at. And I'm just like living here. And Barbara was like, that's what I've been telling you for 10 years, man, turn the click on in the jams. If Alan, so now if Alan has it, I'll go, I'll kind of check in with Brian. Hey, is the click on? And if he says, yes, I'll tell him, turn it on for me. I want to, um, and actually now I just went to where I have an iPad with me at all times on stage and that iPad has the click track on it. And I could just, if I see that it's being used, I'll just unmute it. Cool. So now I'm 128 is fast, man. You guys are doing a lot of improv at that tempo. How, how do you keep up at that tempo and keep it consistent? I mean, when we play like, we play some like trance music, it's at like 133, 135. Right. And you know, drum and bass, our drum and bass is at 175 to 180. I mean, I, I, it's just the Biscuits are a fast band. We've, right. we always like played fast jams and but you can the, cut drum and bass in half you know but it's right. hard with trance. so 140 i start to get super uncomfortable i think that i once heard mike gordon say that he doesn't play any 16th notes and then i started listening and i was like holy shit this guy literally doesn't play any 16th <laughs> like for real like wow. unless he's like slapping or something you know like he's really just playing eighth notes and when I, I kind of started listening for that, I started realizing that if you're at 130 or 135 and you're, you know, and you're playing your lines and not trying to play 16th notes, you know, that's kind of like a halftime sensibility over it. Or sometimes I play like dub lines, like I'll be at 130 and I'll make it at 65. Right. Okay. So, you know, I could still cut 130 in half. It's a slow half, but right. you know, not, you know, just trying to be melodic and not use, 16th notes helps with that uh and i think that's kind of what ends up happening but yeah 128 130 135 like we peak a lot of our jams even faster than that they start to speed up towards the end of the jam to 140 145 and that's you know we sort of flatten everything out hold you know go from staccato to legato and john just kind of takes us to the top um right right yeah and having the click kind of keeps you you know, it's more intentional. So instead of just kind of let's see what happens, it's like, well, this is what we're doing. And as I also heard, um, Mike Gordon had a uh, Instagram live video, just a Q and A session, and um, he was talking about when they kind of switched from going everywhere in in jams, like taking it wherever they wanted to go. It's like let's just try to stay in one mode and one key and use that constraint to really see where we can take things. And so that I forget when he said they started doing that more. But I've noticed that too. He'll do a lot of root fifth octaves and just kind of staying around, messing with like rhythm a little bit, but just the tiny going with the flow, but having the flow be very concise and like honed in creates a different experience than just kind of whatever. 
Right. There was a lot of whatever. There was a lot of just like, you know, soloing between the bass and the guitar back in the day. You know what I mean? That was like, you know, he was like a baritone guitar player more than a yeah. bass player. Yeah, I, um, I identify with uh, with the, the lead bassist type of, type of feel. I mean, Phil Lesh, too, is very melodic and walking around. I think he locked into a, um, I kind of look at it like a double helix, like you're the foundation, but you kind of like move around it. And then oh, the center cool. is where the where that pocket is, and you're sort of just surrounding it and keeping it in place, rather than just like dum dum dum. It's like kind of working around. Yeah, he that. solos. There, he's yeah. just he's a bass baritone guitarist too. He plays. You know, we've always yeah. said that Phil is more baritone guitar than he is bass. He's uh -huh. he's he. They solo. Phil and Mike solo. Yeah, I love to do that. It's so fun. But in my bands, I, I I find myself ending up getting into some sort of repetitive pocket and sticking with it and just slowly shifting. What Mike what, is talking about what they're now doing. You've been is doing what we've always done. Right. That's what we do. You know, we'll change keys, um, you know, with purposefully if we're moving to a new song. And that the other thing about the biscuits is every song goes to another song. You know, we're yeah. always kind of just flowing the sets together. So we have no choice but to change key in the jam at some point because there's a destination, you know. But um but we like to just kind of live in the jam. Like if if the jam is in D Dorian, we like to live in D Dorian for a while and take and, and mm -hmm. live within that right and see where that takes us. Let that's, it breathe. Yeah, that's really fun for us. Hey, Brownie, do you think well, a question I had too, just about like as a bass player, one of the reasons like that I really look up to you is how many projects you're in and how you've become this mainstay in all and very different stuff. I mean, what Star Kitchen is playing, it has that funky rootsy kind of vibe to it that's different than the Jamtronica thing. Um, do you apply like a different kind of modality or like, do you have a different, do you have like your kind of crate, your bag of tricks? Okay. If we're in D Dorian, I know what I'm doing there is, or is there a different philosophy with the biscuits or with star kitchen or a conspirator where you're going, this band has this vibe. So I'm going to maybe have these licks or I'm going to take a mode and put it in a different context. Is it kind of, is it catered to the project or do you have, is it more just a foundation of you? Okay. It's a great question. First of all, <clears throat> I want to point out that, the number of projects that any musician is in at any given time, and this is scientific, is directly correlated to the number of children that they've birthed. So <laughs> I've noticed that I was always like, I had a kids first in our scene, you know what I mean? And we were going to holidays with, uh, with Umphreys and Sound Tribe and Zach, uh, my oldest son, was the only kid at the whole entire event. Oh, we had cool. all these other bands and there was only one musician that had a kid, it was me. And then I started starting side projects, you know? And uh, then I had another kid, added a couple side projects. Third kid added a couple side projects. Then Umphrey started having kids, <laughs> right? And now they've added two or three kids and you've got Umphrey's and then you've got the Omega Moose and you've got Doom Flamingo yeah. and uh, the Brain Damage Eggman keeps coming back and Brendan and Joel are doing a solo show over here. Um, right. So I, I think that first and foremost, number of projects, if you were to look across the scene, there's a direct correlation with number of kids. The, the answer for me is Electron, which is, you know, was born out of necessity when I was fired from the Biscuits in the year 2000, like New Year's 2000, um, is like the Biscuits. It's the one where I've tried to make it sound like the songs that I write and the band that I come from. It's meant to be a Jamtronica band. 
Um, but without all of John's songs, you know, just my songs and cover songs and some of Tommy's songs and stuff. All of the other bands, I if if I can't make them unique, then I don't think that there's really a purpose for them to exist. Mm. So like Conspirator, like what really appealed to me was when Aaron came to me, Aaron started Conspirator with DJ Omen. And what appealed to me was it was on computers. We were going to get to explore this other thing. We were going to, um, we were going to make all of these new kinds of beats and, and, and modalities and work in a different context. Uh, and that was great until, you know, kind of got away from us a little bit stylistically, at least for me, but, um, but, it ha it lived in its own lane, you know what I mean? Yeah. And well, like heavily on the electronic side of it, going right. more down. So playing with John Kadlicek, like in the West Philly fadeaway, I did that for a purpose. There wasn't just to go on the road and play dead songs because I like dead songs and and I wanted to make money. I wanted to really take a deeper dive into dead's music after playing with Bobby and Billy and Mickey. I felt like I had missed an opportunity to really understand what was going on with this music and i wanted to take another shot at like studying it and learning it and figuring out what was really going on and in most of the cases what was going on was they play a lot of major pentatonic which is something the biscuits don't really ever do and so it was i just was unfamiliar with that scale it sounds so stupid because it's like the easiest of all of the no, scales. It, it's not a typical one for a lot. It's for me, I'm less comfortable in a major key than a minor key. So I think for a lot of bass players, they come from that point of view. So I spent this time with John Catalachick and with Aaron and with Mike working on these songs that were major pentatonic. And I've John Case sat me down and showed me some tricks of how to play major pentatonic to how to use the, uh, passing tone between the two and the three and the five and the six to rhythmically end up where you want to be in songs that have like triplet feels swing feels and uh i did like a little tour we did a handful of shows last summer and i came out of it like vastly more knowledgeable about how to play bass right. you know and that was the point of west philly fadeaway and that's the point of star kitchen like i took on these projects as a as a way to increase my own personal understanding of a time period of music that I hadn't connected the dots with from wow. here to here, like I am for some of my students. I hadn't really thought deeply about funk and soul music and how to play it on bass. Same with Grateful Dead. I had done that with jazz. I had done that with like later style jam bands, but I skipped like late 60s, early 70s. I kind of skipped it. I went straight from, I learned everything up until like 63 in jazz school and then went right into the disco biscuits. And I never took a deep dive into these music. So I, I, I wanted to study it. And so I st started a band that would be based around it. And, and I've learned how to play funk music in that right. time. Now in Star Kitchen, I've then taken what I know about jamming and applied it into there so that we go into these right. modal jams. And I do change the baseline more than the guy from uh james brown's band does whoever no variations <laughs> right like i'm doing more variations they're just playing it and playing it and playing it and that's what separates star kitchen from the other you know retro funk bands that exist still 
that go out there, which are great. And I'm like big fan of like, you know, but we're taking these jams and doing segues and putting new beats over them and playing hip hop beats over right. it. But, um, but I, I started it as a, as like a learning project. Yeah, no, that's so, that's super interesting. It, it, one of my favorite bass players is Michael Henderson. He Miles Davis hired him on, for his On the Corner album. Um, so okay. After Big Crew, when Miles started, you know they they did that. It was cool. You brought up that tour with the Dead when they were combining all that modal improv. So after Bitches Brew, he started to get more into this contemporary funk, listening to Sly and the Family Stone and stuff. And so he hired Michael Henderson, who I believe was playing bass with Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Um, he was an English dude, played just jazz bass funk bass player and he got a call from miles i want you to join my band he and he's like well i'm not really a jazz bass player and he's like you're not gonna play jazz you're gonna is come this over like here amandla is he on the amandla album like that i know like amandla is like r&b miles it, i think that was a little later on the corner was his first album that he was okay. on my yeah God. and which was like 71 or two yeah it's an awesome and and so he goes play a bass line and it's going to be a one bar phrase and there's no variations so if you listen to on the corner every song i mean these are like 15 minute songs and the baseline just doesn't change it's just the same but like miles is doing his like wah-wah trumpet and all the crazy different the sleigh bells are all over that album but so it's cool i mean it's he took a bass player from a different scene and he wanted to apply it to his music to where he was going um so i think it's an interesting thing to do and especially with the bass player right you're changing the foundation you're changing the core of to dictate your direction kind of yeah and i i, I like specifically went to find musicians that came from that world right. rather than asking musicians that came from my world to try to play like that, you know? Right. And, and actually I didn't know how the fuck I was going to do it with star kitchen, but I, but what ended up happening was the universe kind of just delivers, you know, like mm -hmm. Danny Mayer was just there one day. Like he was right. suddenly lived in my neighborhood and his son was in my house hanging out with my son and, then Danny Mayer's in my life. And I was like, oh my God, I want to start a funk band. And here's this guy who's like in funk bands and knows funk better than anybody. And right. then he told me like, hey, Rob Marshall just moved to the neighborhood. Like, should we hire him? And it was just like, it was one thing after another that brought me um, these guys that really knew this music inside and out, experts in the kind of music that I was hoping to play. And I sat with them for two years and every song they would introduce, I didn't know. And they're all standards. I know them all now. I, I learned it all. Like, you know, it's all. Yeah, we were talking about that a bit at a festival last summer. And you're like, this is my first time playing like the Grant Green stuff. But it sounded really cool. Star Kitchen has a really cool vibe. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed Star The guys are so great. The, the band is so great. It's just like, it's such a different world from where, that I come from. And, you know, but I'm, and I'm trying to make it so like Biscuit fans can come see it and will really enjoy it but right. it's a different tempo and it's a different feel and yeah and just chiller music it's just chill you know? well, you're probably introducing biscuits fan base to maybe some of these classic funk tunes that they didn't know before right um, and and that's and it also just goes back to the tracing your heroes heroes to really get to the the core of it all to get all right. back to basics yeah back to basics <laughs> well luke do you have a bass lesson come up at four that you need to be Looking I at? do, but he know, he knows that we're doing um, a back to basics interview with Brownie, <laughs> so he's very he's lenient. He's like, let me know. He's like, let me know if I can get in there a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, Mark, thanks for doing back this. a little bit, but yeah, I'm down to wrap up soon. Yeah, I think that I have stuff coming up too. 
Well, this won't be the last time we talk to you. This was a great uh, start, and we're really honored to have you as our first guest. This is an idea we've had. First guest. First guest. You did it. First guest, man. Yes. We've had this idea for a while, sort of as a joke at first, and then eventually, like, well, why don't we do it? And I made the joke. We both laid the foundation, but no one took the lead, which is classic bass player <laughs> thing. That's um, so funny. The, yeah. I've had this same joke, by the way, with Berkowitz, Dan Berkowitz from CID. Yeah. Um, you know Dan? He, he like they throw the fish Mexico shows and do all the VIP. Our joke is that we have a, a podcast as well. And it's called thank God we're perfect with Mark and Dan. <laughs> um, we are back. Yeah. Thank God we're perfect with Mark and Dan. And we always joke about that, but, um, but uh, we haven't made the podcast yet. There's the, then there's room for improvement. You're not perfect yet. Yeah, no, we haven't, we haven't done anything except joke about it. Yeah. Well, that's what we did for about, actually, uh, CC pointed out that I think we first talked about it at Woodhenge. Like, oh, wow. Ago. A long time ago. Hey. hey. <laughs> well, let's, let's bring him in. Guest. Guest with Jeremy. Guest. Hey, what's going on, man? Hey, Jeremy. I'm on back. Ben and Luke, too. Ben and Luke. What's up, Jeremy? Oh. <laughs> You're our second guest. Second guest on Back to Basics, Jeremy Sean. All right. We're just wrapping up. Jeremy, I'll call you right back, okay? Yeah, yeah, no problem. All right. Ask, ask him if he's in pajama pants right now. Of course he is. <laughs> of course he is. I'm in pajama pants right now. You guys are wearing pants? Jeez, I should have dressed up for this. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank I'll you so much. Luke, I'm going to – I know that you're – did you get – we're going to get you all the forms you need to get up on. This yeah, I'm excited, man. I can't wait to be a part of it. Awesome. Thanks, awesome. guys. Talk to I'll you soon. So uh, I'll post this next Monday, Mark, and uh, we'll tag Live Lesson Masters and all that good stuff. Awesome. So all right. We'll speak before then for sure. All right. Stay on the right. line. Thanks, Ronnie. Appreciate you, man. Peace. See you. All right. Shit, Luke. That was cool. Okay. That, what an interesting conversation. Yeah. We we're like, oh, we'll get like 15, 30 minutes in. He's a busy guy. And what, an hour going, and a half later? Yeah. And just some really cool stories. I, yeah, I, I, that, that was super interesting for me, for yeah. you. So I, I think everyone that listens to this podcast is going gonna, is gonna to find some value in that. Yeah, and it, you know, even when he was going, you know, earlier part, like with modes, like going into Dorian, kind of explaining things. It's like, okay, I kind of get that. And I know that for people who might not, you know, for me, five, ten years ago, I'd be like taking notes. Like, okay, okay. And then even later on, yeah. I was just sort of spacing off a little bit and he was talking. I'm like, oh, wait, you know, focus on what he's saying. I'm going to have to re-listen to this and like... Go over some yeah, of that stuff. there's some real knowledge that he really knows um, the modal harmony and theory. And that was a total new, um, I didn't know he went to new school for jazz. I mean, that is a really prestigious school. Like I, I, I didn't get in it and I'm glad I, I at 18 years old, I would have been in no position to go to that school. Um, I mean, well, I, I didn't get into Berkeley at first. I went to another school for two years and I'm really glad that then I went back. I was in a better position to absorb it and to learn. But right. even just to go there for a year, I mean, that, it, it's a really intense jazz program there. He has, so an, inter really cool. he has an interesting, um, I don't know, approach to life, I want to say. It's very, very bass, bass feeling. Like he feels like a bass player in that. Totally. Know, knows generally where he's going with things. And even with the Star Kitchen thing, he pointed out, like, I had this idea, but I didn't know how it would manifest. And all of a sudden, these guys are just living in my neighborhood. And that's kind of like the right. cool, uh, I guess the more spiritual, like uh, hippy dippy aspect that I'm, I find interesting. And I like to explore with the whole intentionality thing. It's like, yeah, come so far in his life. One thing we talked about at electric uh, factory, the first time he opened for conspirator, just like where he's come from and, you know, how he grew up and, you know, in college, his friends kind of took him under their wing and he started playing bass and he's just, you know, he, he's just constantly, shooting upwards and just like working on challenging himself and putting himself out there even at this right. very accomplished level in his career right. he's still like nope time to 
take even more chances and that that's yeah. more inspiring than anything to me as a as a human totally and a, man i mean he just like there's I, I don't know if it's a bass player thing but it's like brownie has it you know like les claypool who's a hero of mine is just very prolific where he has directed movies written novels so many different bands in addition to an already very successful project well, you got your John Paul Jones too, who played piano and like, you know, wrote other stuff. And I, I consider bass players generally composers that happen to play bass on a lot of levels. Oh, even, even if they're not doing it musically with that project, like they have that feel and that vibe. And that's understanding the bass is sort of seeing how everything's put together around it rhythmically, melodically. And that's something I've, I've, I used to kind of resist being like a bass player. Like I'm a bassist. Like, well, no, I'm a musician who plays bass in this project. Like this is what I'm, what I'm doing, but the more I understand it's, it's, about it's the bass. on you picked out of the box is how Les Claypool describes it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I played keys first, and I remember wanting to be, like, Jimi Hendrix is one of my big three inspirations in life. It's Hendrix, Socrates, and Albert Einstein are the two, three I try to model my life around as much as possible. I've had that Fire. for a while. And, um, yeah, it's like, well, I can't be Jimi Hendrix on, you know, I can't play guitar. I picked it up. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I feel too smart to feel this stupid kind of thing. So it's like, yeah. fuck this. I'm good played piano but I, it never clicked to me that you can be a rock star on piano and obviously you very much can but I'm glad I didn't because when I picked up my first bass at my friend's birthday party I was like oh this is this is my it's like a lightning rod and I connected yeah. with my future it's like boom this is it right. I feel this and it speaks to you and it's the same and maybe it's because bass is a more is a resonant instrument maybe yeah it's the same to me I music performance I've, I've movies writing I've always had a creative mind and bass was the thing that I felt like maybe just I could apply better to. Like when I, I was a guitar player and then when I first started playing a bass, I loved it. The way that it physically felt to me mm -hmm. resonated on a very deep level. Sense. It speaks to me and it also speaks through me. You know, I, yeah, man. I consider uh, to, not to get too deep into the, the meditative aspects of the spiritual aspects of my esoteric music understanding, but you know, I look at music in a lot of ways as like a weighted, it's an agnostic worship. I don't know if we touched on this briefly last time. Yeah. But, uh, oh, really? you know, it, the, the having that, you know, connection, it's sort of like a, not a prayer book or anything or like a, you know, a, right. a, a chant or a meditation or a prayer, but like it, it's a conduit through which to experience sort of a higher form of, of my consciousness and my reality, obviously Absolutely. taking it out there a little bit. Um, but no, but, I love it. I think that base and it's your, it's your instrument, it's your voice and however, you know, however you apply, however you get to a higher level of spirituality or just existence. For a lot right. of people, it's religion. And I, and you know, I have no issue. I, I love that side of religion. I am not as into like the um, focusing on people's differences and war and murder and all that comes with religion, organized religion, but the feeling of some, giving your life meaning and however that happens for you. For some people, it's religion. For some, it's spirituality. For some, it's music. For some, it's bass. And for some, it's a combination of everything. So and for some, it's atheism. Like that's how they connect to the higher self. Is like there is no higher aspect. It's like, well, okay, good. Right. Create your own meaning, then. Like that's beautiful too. But to have the, right. the the perspective of bass to to sort of pivot around and music in general, it's it's, it's foundational, you know, to get back to basics, as it were. I mean, that's what we're doing is getting back to basics. Yeah. But well, uh, hey, man, this is a great for second episode. We got a podcast to launch right now. Our new one is live. We're going to get to that. I got bass to teach. And um, I'm going to uh, start working on my, my schwa streaming. There's so much going into great. it. But, uh, I, I, can't, I can't wait to watch this Wednesday. Day. You're doing the next one, right? 
Yeah, um, this is a soft one. We have a, the big one next Monday, so we're trying to figure out how to collaborate without being near each other, obviously. So social yeah. streaming, social distance streaming. Um, so we'll put something out Wednesday, probably on Discord, I think. Um, but this yeah. will be debut, debuting next Monday, so um, Great. tune in. We're going to keep the Wednesday thing going, 8 p.m. So there'll be something, cool. up, either a new song, an old show, a new stream. So tune in every Wednesday, and uh, I look forward to your next uh, stream where... Yeah, I will officially know how to pronounce your last name because you're saying it's like Beeman. I was like, oh shit, I've been thinking Bemand in my head every time. Oh um, man, that's what so that's what a lot of people have said, and um, every single time. I, hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I first met Brown to Luke Bemand. You know, like there's plenty. Of, it, it's French, then English, then American. I I think it's become Beeman just because it's the most like bastardized American way to say it. I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> but, like uh, yeah. the cartoon yeah. from when I was a kid. Demand with a B is how a lot of people like will say, but then it's Bemand. I don't care. Make it it's say, you're, say not, it's not, special. you're not super demanding. So I'm not super a demanding person. Like yeah. I like when people when people pronounce the sort of Le Special. I'd be like, is that not it? And I'm like, well, we pronounce it as like bastardized American as you can. You want to throw French I'm not gonna stop you. You know, right. but um, hey man, I just had a, a little flash. I hope we don't cut out here. And uh, yeah, and, I'm uh, yeah, man. the whole Let's time. Like, stop recording to save the recording because that was such a good episode. That's like the you, all the best sets never get recorded. I was like, oh please, please, please. So let's just head out now. And um, I know what watch thunder hits a tree right now, and we lose it all. Right, like yeah. my lights just flickered, and I was like, oh boy. All right, well, I'll see you, and uh, we'll we'll catch in next week. We'll talk about which guests we want to do um, via email or yeah, whatever. Right. All right, see all you. Yeah, and anybody listening, hit us up. Yeah. All you basic bitches out there. Peace, y'all. Later, buddy.